our yields were a thousand to two thousand pounds the acre. Two thousand pounds the acre was a big crop. Uh, two years ago, I was in one blueberry field that produced fifteen thousand pounds to the acre. It comes down to uh, generating new knowledge that we didn't know before, and then having that then translate into new technologies. Welcome to Beyond Research. I'm your host, Stephanie Reed. Today's episode might seem like a story about boosting blueberry production, but there's more beneath the surface. It's a tale of how local research can shape not only an industry, but an entire sector. Joining us are Dr. David Percival and blueberry veteran Gary Brown. Through a story about blueberries, we'll explore how this research isn't just about more blueberries in the box. It's about influencing agriculture on a broader scale, both locally and internationally. This work is addressing challenges facing all agriculture crops, like disease, pests, and climate change. Stay tuned to discover the intricate connection between research, agriculture, and the broader public good. So we're sitting in uh, the Wild Blueberry Research Centre in uh, DeBert, Nova Scotia, and it provides us with a base or a place where we can do these uh, research trials on wild blueberries. The research trials themselves, they're, they're so important for the industry because the industry is only located in the maritime provinces, Quebec, as well as Maine. And as a result of this, if a problem arises, we can't draw on you know, technologies from California, from Europe. Uh, the solutions have to be found here. Dr. David Percival is a professor at Dalhousie Agricultural Campus in the Department of Plant, Food, and Environmental Sciences. Over the past 24 years, Dr. Percival has worked closely with the farming community to increase the fundamental knowledge of wild blueberry plant biology, soil fertility, plant nutrition, and disease management. I have my education at the Nova Scotia Agricultural College. I worked 19 years there as a berry crop technician, and I worked 25 years in the wild blueberry industry, and I'm now retired. Gary Brown has worked in the blueberry sector for more than 40 years. Although technically retired, Gary is so passionate about wild blueberries, he has remained involved and continues to work closely with Millen Farms, a family-owned sustainable berry farm with over 185 acres of strawberry and over 600 acres of wild blueberry. Uh, the disease problems in particular, and uh, didn't appreciate them at the time, but um, uh, by the first September, all of our leaves had dropped, you know, and uh, on our sprout fields, and so we're ready for next year. And everybody accepted that. That was normal until David proved to us that those leaves were dropping because of the disease. And when in 1996, I can't imagine there was a huge reliance on research or it wasn't regarded probably how it is today. Like, what were, was there reluctance from the growers at the time? Our biggest frustrations that time, we couldn't find anybody to look at our problems. So we sat down as a grower group and said, we have to have somebody dedicated to low-wish blueberries because the only research we could get done were people that had other responsibilities as well, be it strawberries, grapes, raspberries, or whatever. So we didn't have anybody dedicated to the low bush blueberry industry. And that's when the decision was made, we have to hire somebody. So we started uh, basically looking. Uh, I have to tell a cute antidote in all of this. 
is that uh, Dr. Percival came, applied for the position, came and made a presentation on some of his research trials. Uh, it was right in May and it was right in bloom time. Uh, I was, we're, the blueberry industry uses a lot of bees for pollination. I was involved in pollination. I'd been up all night. I sat in the lecture theater and listened to him and it was a nice, dark, quiet place and I started to doze off. David noticed that. <laughs> so it's quite the first impression. Yeah, yeah you nailed that. <laughs> yeah, David could certainly think he hasn't got any interest in what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I was just sleepy. Oh, well, and now look at you both. <laughs> That's right. Look yeah. at how far you've come. Because the next week I arrived in his office with a problem and said, here, David, we got to get this solved. <laughs> and did he solve it? Oh, yes. Of course he did. <laughs> well, we had, it was one of our disease problems. We had, you know, why is this happening? And that's when David started into, when Dr. Percival came on staff, uh, we were struggling. There's no doubt about it uh, because we didn't have answers for a lot of our problems. How would you describe the state of the blueberry industry in Nova Scotia on the day you arrived at the center? Going back to June 1996, when I started work here, uh, the industry has really changed. And uh, uh, when you look at it, total production of blueberries at that time, cultivated and wild, was approximately 660 million pounds. That year, the wild blueberry crop was, 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 was quite low. I think it was in the vicinity of 124 million pounds uh, that was produced. Uh, when you look at the industry at the time, it, it was... It was um, an industry that still had a lot of, of, of smaller growers. So there's approximately 1,100 blueberry producers at the time uh, that were, were um, trying to manage fields that had been in the families for, in some cases, many generations. And the first thing we had to find was we didn't even know the diseases that were causing the problems. And right. David identified them, saw their life cycle, and knew when, to, when, do we, when do we have to address these, at what time, with what product. And uh, how time sensitive is that? You know, when, how many days have we got to control this? You know, all of that stuff. So basically in the early 90s, when yields were low or when the leaves were falling off, as you described, most growers just chalked it up to that's just the way it that's is. That's the way it is. That is just the way that nature gave it to us. And uh, I, I got to give David a lot of credit of that. That's the first thing he started looking at. Was you know, and as he mentioned earlier, what do, what diseases are out there, and what are they doing to us? And I mean, you were, even went to England and looked at septoria and its life cycle, and determined whether it was the same species that was affecting our blueberries that was affecting, say, the cereal crops. He started, you know, looking at all of that, and how do we control that species that's affecting the blueberry crop versus the cereal crop? So that's where all of this started, and it has just progressed over the last 27 years. So before David came, before we knew to treat you know, plants a certain way after the harvest, it was really just kind of, well, let's hope for a better year next yeah. year. Like, let's just, like, maybe it was just a one-off. I'll be honest with you that uh, uh, it was a simple life back then. Uh, we, prune, we prune now by mowing blueberry fields. In those days, we pruned by spreading straw and setting fires to burn these plants off because the, the old plants have to be burned off to allow new vegetative buds to come up next spring on the, out of the ground. When you first got here, just because I'm curious now, 
and you saw kind of how it was and, and what most producers were doing, both with, you know, the burning and the, you know, diseases and the crossing of the fingers. Like what was what were the most surprising things to you that you you didn't think you were going to encounter? Having gone through and been raised in, you know, in, a, in, a, in a farming background, you, you tend to see quite a bit of things. So it, nothing really surprised me, and especially when you look at some of the challenges, whether it be uh, watching you know, a vineyard go down with, with gray mold or apples. Well, scab is a perpetual problem for, for apple growers. I, I just looked at it as, okay, well, we know there's limiting factors there. Now let's get our head around what they are. Uh, when they're a problem, okay, and what are the tools in the toolbox that we can hopefully develop to to address them? And what have the results looked like since the research program was put in place? Uh, well, there is already when you look at the the body of knowledge that was out there, there is there's there's definitely a a good group of researchers that were here before me, but but the challenge has changed, and over time we we, we really tried to address trying to obtain a better knowledge of how the, the, the plant grows, how it develops, and then also some of the stresses that have come along. And in particular, uh, in my case, I've, I've ended up focusing quite a bit of my attention on, on the disease management side of things uh, over the past 20 years. And so the, the implications of this uh, are when we started doing this work back in the early 2000s, what was happening is the diseases would come in, they'd affect the canopy, uh, the leaves would prematurely fall off. There just wasn't enough resources there for the floral buds to develop in the first year, the vegetative year. And as a result of this in the crop year, uh, the crops, harvestable berry yields were really quite low. And as a result of this, we had to find out, okay, well, what's the organism uh, that's causing this? How do you control it? And then what are the net effects? So overall, as far as yields are concerned, they've gone from approximately 1,000 to 2,000 pounds per acre. Uh, to good fields now, I think we're in the vicinity of 8,000 pounds plus an acre with some, I think, Gary can back this up, being well over 12,000 pounds an acre. So that's more berries in the box. Definitely more berries in the box, yeah. And that was the, that was one of the goals, is to identify those threats and how can we produce as Nova Scotia more berries. David has been proactive instead of reactive. He and I all sat down and look at what the problems are, what we think the problems are going to be and what research we need to address those problems in the future. And uh, that has really paid off for us big time for the whole industry. Um, the growers rely so much on David's information. Uh, he holds uh, information meetings during the winter months where the growers will sit down and everybody's got a pad and a pen and they're taking down his information to apply it to their own firm. That's incredible. And you were talking earlier when we were chatting outside by the field, you were chatting about just how many of those berries leave the province now. Can you talk a little bit about? On an average, 90% of Nova Scotia's blueberry crop is exported. That's hard to believe. But uh, we are normally in excess of 300 million pounds. And that would be the state of Maine, the maritime provinces and the province of Quebec as far as the wild industry. So we have to find a home for all of those. The biggest home right now is Europe, and luckily the sing single second biggest home is uh, Japan. 
And going back to some of the the problems that growers are facing right now out in the fields, obviously there are some that you're you're um, investigating right now with some of the blueberry crops outside. Um, can you tell us a bit about the ones that are high on the list right now for research trials? Okay. Well, the the two two main ones are uh, the weed issues that we're running into are are. Uh, definitely posing a challenge. And um, some of that is just due to there there are very few control products, uh, especially with respect to weed management that can be used. And the ones that we have been using, there's some weed issue or weed uh, resistance uh, arising with them. And then there's also, there's there's quite a few new uh, weed species. So there's a team of researchers now uh, that are addressing these pest management issues, uh, working at the Dehousie Agricultural Campus. And so Scott White in particular, he's, he's putting quite a bit of effort into identifying, okay, well, what are they? And then, uh, hopefully the, the technologies on how to address them will then come from it. Uh, on the disease management side, really it's, it's broken itself down into two main ones. So as we talked about earlier in the, uh, the vegetative year, it's the leaf spot diseases that really became quite an issue. And in particular, uh, we have two. We have one that starts a little bit earlier. So uh, it's it's a bit of a complex uh, of, of an organism we haven't really seen much before. So Sphaerolina is, is what, what it's referred to. Uh, there's also others in there as well. And so it infects the leaf. It, it causes the leaf to be not as effective at uh um, serving as a solar panel to intercept that incoming light energy and turn it into chemical energy the plant can use. So we had that problem early on, and then there's one that's a bit of a, an invasive uh, pest into the area on the disease side, which is blueberry rust. And what makes it rust? Rust. You don't and hear about rusty blueberries. No, often. you don't. No. You don't. But again, it's one that affects most of the, mostly the leaves. But the problem with it is is it uh, has alternate hosts, and so in Nova Scotia. A lot of our blueberry fields are located in remote areas, surrounded by woodlots. You have an abundance of hemlock uh, situated within them. Well, unfortunately, the hemlock's the alternate host. And so it can bounce from the blueberries to the hemlock and then back into the blueberry field. And it's quite, quite, uh, quite damaging. Like it'll, it'll really defoliate the, uh, the blueberries quite, quite effectively as we go into the late summer and into the, into the fall months. For those who may not be out in the farms or the fields, rather, um, like you are uh, each and every day, people would mainly think of weeds as, as pests. And yes, we all know weeds, but those are some pretty significant weeds we were looking at out there. And what are the effects on the harvesting process with weeds like that? Well, it's interesting. I pointed out this morning, there, there's a grass we call fescue that wet conditions, especially like we have in harvest this year, it winds up in the harvester heads. It strips berries off that it don't end up in the box. They end up on the ground. Um, and to go back to what Dr. Purcell said about Dr. White and some of the research trials he'd done, I've been in this industry a long while, and I worked with a researcher at a Kinfo by the name of Dr. Claus Jensen, who is now retired. And I still remember, and it's very vivid in my mind, he and I were looking at this grass in Purge Pro, and uh, the normal... Uh, farming methods, what's controlling it? What is what is the issue? Why are we not controlling this grass? So Dr. Jensen took samples, and on his way home, he stopped along the roadside and got the same grass and took samples off of it and got the seeds out of it, grew them in the greenhouse in the Kentville Research Station, and then treated them like they would be normally treated in a blueberry field. 
and uh, the grass along the roadside was dead instantly. The grass in the blueberry fields never died. So that meant we had to look at alternative methods. We had to look at new research trials. Right. And what are some of those other technologies that you've developed outside of the pesticides that can be used? When you look at some of the tools that uh, you know we're seeing at the at the source, for example, the UAVs and these sorts of things, uh, well, they have a pretty important application now for us as an industry, and so it's provided us with the opportunity to map our fields and say, okay, well, how many blueberries are present? Where are they located? And so this allows us then to be far more precise with respect to the inputs that we're using. It allows us to, to, to see, okay, you know, are there some weed issues in the field that uh, are a little bit more of a problem than what we thought initially? And down the road, you know, we hear about these systems being used for the delivery of uh, parcels through Amazon and things like this. Well, we think we can also use them in the management of the fields as well. So be very specific and uh, localized because at the end of the day, we pride ourselves with having a, a, a very productive or a very uh, sustainable production systems so are far more sustainable than than most other berry crops for sure as well as other other uh, fruit crops and so with with uh, the global market of blueberries just increasing exponentially it allows us to continue to differentiate ourselves and then also keep the cost of production down to allow the growers to remain competitive very cool and it just seems that there's no shortage of new problems that are arising for the industry, blueberries um, specifically. And can you tell us just some of the impacts we've seen even in the last year uh, due to climate change here in Nova Scotia? Can you just talk a little bit about the impacts of those things on the crops? Okay. So the stresses over the past year have been phenomenal when you look at it, starting off with uh, the hurricane last year. And it uh, it was one just with that full day of incredibly high winds. It just whipped these uh, stems around that were in the process of trying to form floral buds. And so that was a challenge in itself. And so our, our floral bud numbers um, are down a little bit compared to prior years. And then we went into winter. And at the end of January, early February, we ended up with minus 30 uh, degrees centigrade temperatures, which uh, um, caused quite a little bit of winter injury. It, it caused a lot more damage to the grape, you know, the wine grape sector and uh, the tender tree fruit uh, also in the province. Uh, but it also, it, it, it pushed us back a little bit. And then we get into the spring where we had incredibly dry conditions. Uh, and I've never seen fields uh, at the early stages of the, of the growing season where the soil was just almost like powder. It was so, uh, so dry. And then we go to the other end of the spectrum where uh, just uh, an abundance of rainfall. And, and what that's posing now is uh, issues on the disease side. So we're really starting to see when you pull away the blueberry canopy because of these wet conditions, uh, the, the interior is, is, is getting a little bit moldy. Uh, the abundance of the rainfall is also starting to split some of the berries. So we're going to be starting to see more and more spoilage uh, uh, as a result of these split split berries. And so this is where the technologies we've been working on play a pretty important role because some of the treatments that, that we've been using this year uh, can be still healthy. And and so that's, that's, that's a, a big factor in allowing these blueberry producers to remain competitive. That's great um, to hear that the crops are, are still going strong, but um, I, I'm guessing that some of these climate events, as, as we call them, um, will help inform future trials here at the center. 
Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And especially when you look at, for example, with uh, some of the disease issues that we've been seeing, it's okay, how can you keep these disease pressures down and provide a grower with the tools to allow them to remain competitive in a, in a global economy? Right. So from um, the grower's perspective, from Nova, Sco uh, Nova Scotian perspective, like how is the work here or how do you see the work here impacting our agriculture and our, and our economy as a whole long term? And how critical is the, re the ongoing research? I don't have the figures in front of me to say how valuable the blueberry industry is to the province, but it's huge um, because it spills over into everything else. What have you learned from your work here at the center that has then been applied to other crops or industries? When you look at some of the disease issues that we have present in the blueberry fields, uh, a lot of them apply to the other fruit crop sectors. So, uh, for example, it doesn't matter if it's a strawberry, a blueberry, or a grape. Uh, gray mold, which is caused by the fungal pathogen, Botrytis cinerea, is, is definitely the, the culprit of interest. And so when you then look at, okay, well, how can we uh, better manage this disease? And, uh, and control it. It's, it's, it's uh, something that once we uh, had a, a good insight into some of the things that worked, oh, it, it, it transfers quite readily to then the other sectors. And how is that information shared here in Nova Scotia amongst the other sectors? Or is it? Or is it up to the other sectors to kind of hear what you're doing here? It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's very much, it really starts within the industry. And so you know, as a researcher and, and especially working at a university, you, you know, you tend, to, you tend to initially focus on, okay, well, what's that publication I'm going to get? But it's more than that. It's, 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 it's the importance of getting the message out to producers and then also to the extension specialists working in the, in the region uh, about these new technologies and, and their potential fit. And then so once you take that first step in, in getting out the message out to the blueberry growers, then, you know, the, the feeder lines all of a sudden start to become quite active. And so then tools, whether it be uh, to the high bush blueberry sector in the valley or strawberry or grape sector, it generally, it generally moves along quite quickly after that. So do you know if many of your technologies have been picked up by other sectors? Oh, uh, definitely, especially in the high bush sector, which is amazing that we're given such a small portion of it now uh, compared to what's occurring globally. But, but some of these technologies are definitely making their way into the larger audience. And clearly your, your research is having an impact beyond our borders here in Nova Scotia. You had mentioned a partnership with Norway or a collaboration with Norway. Um, can you talk a little bit about any international work you have been doing? Sure. And uh, I'll go over a few little sure. things along with that. So. As a result of this job and, and the research projects that uh, are supported by the producers and, and by the Bragg Group group of uh, food companies, um, it has allowed us to collaborate with with uh, other universities. So the one in in Norway is the Arctic University of of uh, Norway, and uh, they have an excellent um, uh, molecular biologist group there. And so it became really important for us because at the, at the True Agricultural Campus. Uh, we had a little bit of a, a, a roof fire at, uh, at the research institute where I worked, and so you know we were we were out of commission, and there was just how are we going to allow these students to continue work? And so uh, the PhD student at the time, Joel Abbey, he went to uh, Norway, and he was able to learn these techniques, and everything came together for him. Uh, so he, he really did a nice nice job on his project as a result of it. 
another example of, of being involved in, um, in, in, in collaborative activities on a global basis has been um, we have an international blueberry meeting happening here next year. So it's International Vaccinium Symposium. And as a result of being involved in the industry uh, and in the research community for, for 27 years now, uh, it's provided a lot of opportunities. And uh, so I'm actually chair of the chair of the working group of, of what we call the Vaccinium Working Group. And so it allows you to, to, to gain insight into what's going on in every area where blueberries are being produced. And again, going back, that would not have been possible without, without the solid support that we've had here, both on the producers as well as in the industry sector as well. And so last question I have is, what are your hopes for the wild blueberry industry here in Nova Scotia? Where would you love to see us be in 5, 10, 20 years time in terms of new technology, berry yields, you name it? So I, I believe that for the wild blueberry industry to remain competitive in a global economy where so many uh, different countries are now producing fruit, uh, being able to show and illustrate that we have the most sustainable production system is it's going to be absolutely essential. And uh, so that's an area that, that uh, is definitely going to be my focus and, and I hope will continue to be a focus uh, you know, after I finish my, my career up as well as what can be done to try to keep the industry here as competitive as possible. Because when you look in particular at the rural areas, whether it be of Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, or Prince Edward Island, uh, the, 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 the opportunities just aren't as apparent as what you would have in downtown Halifax or in other agronomic areas, you know, like uh, in, 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 in the prairies, you know, just, just the, the scale is just not there. So, but it's nonetheless incredibly important to try to, to keep these areas of, of the Nova Scotia economy viable. Right. Wonderful. Gary, would you add anything to that? Yeah, I was just thinking of that because I want to look at it from the grower point of view. We know what our input costs are. Uh, we're relying on David's research. I'll be very plain about this, but we're relying on David's research to give us as many pounds per acre as we possibly can because we're paid by the pound. So if our yield per acre goes down, our input costs are still up there, the profit margins certainly deteriorate for the grower. So... Uh, maintaining these disease problems and particulars of what David's work is. And we never even mentioned the fact that David has done a quite a bit of work on fertility research as well. Uh, and that comes with a whole slate of problems on its own because the fertility has worked really well for growing a better plant, growing that solar panel better, but the weeds like fertility as well. <laughs> right. Weeds so, love everything. Yeah. So, you know, uh, we're we're making our own problems there, and we got to kind of solve it all. But in in the last day of the week, the grower wants as many pounds per acre as he can get for the least input cost as possible, because that's where his money is. We have to depend on world prices, and the only time that the grower really makes big money is his input costs are down, his yields are up, and uh, that's where he, his profit margin starts to really appear. This year we. We don't know what the price is going to be, so the highest yields possible is where the grower is going to get the money. As we've heard, this wild blueberry research isn't just about yields. It's about cultivating a sustainable future for agriculture. 
Dr. David Percival's work exemplifies how specific research can have universal application, transcending borders and benefiting entire sectors. The next time you enjoy those juicy blueberries, remember that the story behind them reaches far beyond the fields. Thank you for joining us on Beyond Research. Until next time, stay curious. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us five stars. You can also follow us on social at Beyond Research Podcast and let us know what research topics you would like to hear on the podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.